This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. Hello guys, welcome back to the Eat Like Ruby podcast. I am back in studio today with a solo episode. I think the last two weeks were solo episodes and they were really good ones. I'm just going to say it. (laughs) I think they were really good. I think there was a lot of juicy info in those and there was a lot of great feedback. People reached out just saying they learned a lot. It was like things were really well explained. They just seemed to really land with a lot of people. So if you haven't listened to the last two episodes, definitely put that on your list to do so. But I'm going to, like I said, do another solo app today. And today I thought it would be really cool to talk about how I manage my own nutrition. And I think we talk about this, or I talk about this, <laughs> in little chunks on the podcast, like in other episodes. It'll just come up and I might mention how I navigate a certain thing or where I'm at with my nutrition. But I don't think I've ever really just done an episode talking about how I manage my nutrition through different phases or with different goals or anything like that. And obviously my business is called Eat Like Ruby. So I thought it makes sense to actually explain to people how I eat. And this episode is coming out early June and my new book is coming out in the middle of June. So literally next week. And the book is called Simple Meals Like Ruby. And it's literally just that. It is a massive book of simple meals that I eat and hence why I've made that book, hence why my business is called Eat Like Ruby. I thought, let's just make an actual book with so many resources of how I eat. So I thought it would be perfectly timed to just come on and speak a little bit more about that. So like I said, I've spoken about this in so many little ways over the podcast before, but I very much look at my own nutrition in phases. And we've definitely spoken about phases before where people can have like a muscle gaining phase, a fat loss phase, a maintenance phase, all of those things. And I've very much structured my nutrition like this for years. I would say just as a bit of a fun fact, I I don't want to get too much into like my history because it's not that exciting, but (laughs) I would say I've been like air quote flexible dieting or tracking my food for about 11 to 12 years. So I'm going to be 32 next month and I reckon I was around like 21, 22 when I started. Shaq and I have been together for nearly 10 years and I know like when I got with him, he was really intrigued. He was like, oh, like what is it that you do with your food? So I know it's been like over 10 years. So like I said, I don't want to go through my whole history, but when it comes to tracking food, I've literally done it for over a decade, I would say. And a lot of that has been structured around muscle gain phases and fat loss phases and maintenance phases and doing all of those, like focusing on all of those different goals at different times. So one thing I've touched on a little bit before is that often when I do a fat loss phase, I will do it from about July through to like October, November-ish. And there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, when there's not a lot of weight to lose, like if I was to do a fat loss phase, it'd be aiming to get off anywhere from eight to 10 kilos. So obviously that's not a crazy amount of weight to lose. Like I'm not really overweight and need to spend a lot of time getting that off. So when we don't have a lot of weight to lose and we know that we can structure it and we can really get after that weight loss goal, we don't want to spend big prolonged times in a deficit. And I've definitely spoken about that before on the podcast. So for me, if we look at getting off say eight kilos over what's July, August, September, October into November-ish, it's normally around 16 to 20 weeks, give or take. So you're looking at like 
half a kilo a week, again, give or take, it's not like we line up 16 weeks, we've got eight kilos to lose and we drop exactly 500 grams every week. It's never going to work like that. But overall, that's about the rough time that I'll spend in a deficit. And that's the aim is to get around that much weight off during that time. Usually I will do so from those specific dates, like I said, July through to around November for a few reasons. So um, like I said before, I'm about to be 32. So my birthday is in July. Normally I would just start a fat loss phase after my birthday. It just tends to work really well. I will knuckle down on that for three or four months through that back half of the year. And then I'll know that I'm sort of going back to maintenance or like I've at least achieved my goal and I can loosen the reins a little. And I'll talk about that a bit more soon as we come into the festive season. So if we look at that quite quickly, if you've followed me on Instagram for a while, you'll know that around November, December, we speak a lot about working out whether you should still be in a deficit. It's a very hard time of year to knuckle down on a strict diet. If we think about all the events and everything that pop up through that time, when I look at myself and my schedule, I can actually get quite a clear schedule through those few months, like August, September, October, knowing that on the other side of it, November, December, we start to have events, family occasions, all of that. It doesn't make sense to be trying to be really strict and achieve a fat loss goal. So you sort of pull the year apart, if you will, and say like, okay, if I know that I want three or four months geared towards fat loss, when does it make sense for me to do that? And for me personally, It's just like, enjoy my birthday, have a great old time, eat all the food, (laughs) knuckle down three or four months, start to come out of that and enjoy the festive season. That's sort of the typical structure that I've set up for myself over the last few years. If I've wanted to pursue muscle gain, which I have over the last three years, I would say, that'll be done in the other time. So if we look at that scenario I just said, normally then after Christmas, obviously we come into January, I would start to look, okay, cool. Do I want to ramp things up and start to push a bit of a gaining phase? And usually I will ease into that because first of all, like you don't just want to go balls to the wall gaining phase and then be like, shit, I overshot and I'm feeling quite huge and quite shitty. (laughs) So normally we want to ease a little bit into that. And also again, just looking at lifestyle and the time of year, I don't want to push crazy gains and be heavy as when it's still hot as fuck. When we think about it, like I don't want to be middle of Feb thinking like, shit, I'm really heavy. I'm quite uncomfortable. Like I've I've gone too intense too early into this gaining phase. If we then look at that, I would tend to start really pushing the gains from around March and then really just aim to spend like March, April, May, June, July, clearly in a surplus, clearly pushing gains, knowing I'm going to put on weight, knowing I'm going to beef up a bit, but also knowing like it's winter, it makes a bit more sense to do so. And also knowing that on the other side of it, the fat loss phase is there, it's teed up, it's ready to go. I don't want to get too off topic today, but (laughs) I've spoken about this a lot in a few masterclasses and with a few of my trained like Queens girls. Often when we start to experience weight gain, there can be quite a level of fear and fret. You're like, shit, I'm, I'm gaining weight. I don't know what to do. Get me out of this. When you've got the education and the understanding and you've teed up intentional phases like this, yes, it can still be a little bit uncomfortable, but there's not a level of fear or fret because you're not in the mindset of like, shit, I don't know why this is happening and I wish it wasn't. You're like, actually, yeah, I am gaining weight. Maybe it is a little bit uncomfortable, but I also know why it's happening because I'm in a gaining phase. It actually makes sense. I'm going to be gaining weight. And then you know, like, I'm good. I've got myself. I'm going to go into that fat loss phase on the other side of this. 
I know I know how to navigate that. I will get the weight off. And obviously, if you're listening, thinking, why would a person do this? <laughs> it's to have that intentional gaining phase where we can put on muscle. And with that, we'll just naturally come a little bit of body fat. And then on the other side, like we said, we tee up the fat loss phase. We strip back that additional body fat that came on and we're left with a more built, lean, toned physique, whatever we want to call it, because we've put the muscle on, we've then removed the fat that came with it. And if we step back and look over a year, we've gone through that whole cycle. Like we've gone through the gaining phase, a little bit of discomfort when we start to hit the real peak of that. We go into the fat loss phase. We nail that for three or four months. And then the end result around November, December is more lean, more toned, more defined, all of those things. Usually sit at maintenance, enjoy Christmas, enjoy holidays, all of that for November, December. And then we go again. (laughs) So that's how I've teed up my nutrition for a lot of years now, like in a row, especially if, um, if you guys have followed on Instagram, sorry, you would have seen that really play out and it's been really cool. When I'm in a fat loss phase, I think I've kind of dropped a few numbers throughout the podcast, but I've never really spoken a lot to it. So when I'm in a fat loss phase, usually that will mean for me personally, I eat around the 1500 to 1600 calorie mark. That's just what I found to be a very effective calorie deficit. It works well with my activity levels, obviously my health, all of the things. So usually my intake during that time, anywhere from, I should say probably 1500 to 1800. Sometimes if I'm really active, I'll notice I don't have to drop right down towards 1500. I can keep it a little bit higher. Other times when I've been more sedentary, I've then obviously got to drop food a little bit lower to make up for that. So anywhere sort of from 15 to 1800, I would say, is where I sit for those three or four months to get a good fat loss result. When I do this, if we think back to recent episodes, we spoke about our protein target, our dietary fat target, and all of those things. These numbers for me personally, and for most girls that manage their nutrition this way. These numbers don't change a lot because if we think about what I said in recent episodes where protein and dietary fat are based around our body weight, if the body weight has changed by eight kilos, like yes, it is eight kilos, but it's not a lot when we think about it. Like if I've gone from say 60 kilos to 68, if we know that protein is around double body weight, when I'm light, protein is 120. When I'm, you know, air quotes, heavy, protein is up in the 130s. That's not a huge difference. And even like we spoke about in those recent episodes, protein will always be a range. So it's not like we need to hit that exact number. So for me personally, whether the goal is fat loss or muscle gain or maintenance or whatever, protein is always around that 120 to 140 mark, I would say. Same with dietary fat. Like when we work at our dietary fat, we aim for around like 0.6 grams per kilo of body weight as being the minimum that we want to hit. So for me personally, I always just aim to keep keep dietary fat up over 40 grams. And again, weight doesn't change so drastically that we really have to revisit that number. I know personally, like if I'm up in the 40s or above, I'm good. And then when we think about all of the other nutrition requirements and the food groups and everything I rattled off in recent episodes, things like fruit, veggies, whole grains, fiber, calcium, all of those like good quality foods we want to include. I still focus on including those no matter what the calorie target is. So if I'm pushing fat loss down around 1600, I'm still aiming to include all those things. When I sit around maintenance, I don't think I dropped these numbers. So (laughs) we'll come back to that. When I'm sitting around maintenance, it's normally around 
21 to 2300 ish give or take again it depends if I'm super active if I'm walking a lot normally I can get that up a bit higher if I'm a bit more sedentary like if I've been writing a book like I have been for the last few months obviously sitting down a lot then obviously maintenance is going to be a little bit lower but it is usually around that 2200 give or take and then when I've pushed a real clear gaining phase like I definitely want to be in a surplus it's up around 2600 so Coming back to my point before, no matter what, if I'm on 1600, 2200, 2600, whatever it is, we're still aiming to hit protein. We're still aiming to hit dietary fat. We're still aiming to hit fiber. And we still want to tick off all those good quality foods. The real difference here is I would say when we look at then what else do we include in the day and how much do we tweak those foods? So a really perfect example of this is if you guys follow me on Instagram, you will know I eat that yogurt Nutella bowl like pretty much every day. If you do not follow me on Instagram, it's eat underscore like underscore Ruby. You want to see this bowl because it's great. I literally eat it every day, but it's a really cool example of tweaking my food. Like I will eat that meal, whether I'm pushing fat loss or whether I'm pushing muscle gain, no matter the targets, I've had that meal nearly every day for like two years. If I am on high targets, I will go for like a higher calorie yogurt. I'll add a bit more cereal, like I'll really load it up with the cereal. I'll add more Nutella. So I'll add around like 30 grams of Nutella. If I'm pushing a fat loss phase, I'll go for like the lowest calorie yogurt I can find. I'll opt for maybe lower calorie fruits, like fruit's not going to be a big deal breaker on your calories. I'll aim for a smaller amount and a lower calorie cereal and then obviously less Nutella sometimes maybe even ditch the Nutella as much as it breaks my heart but if we really look at that meal it's like the meal stays the same overall I don't have to sit there and think up crazy meals because I'm now in a gaining phase or I'm now in a fat loss phase if we look at the low calorie version without the Nutella with low calorie options it might come in around like 300 calories if we beef it up and we add the Nutella and all the fun things or whatever it can come in around five or 600, which is pretty crazy when we think about it. And if you went through my day and looked at all of my meals, that's exactly what I do. Like I'll still have say like meat and veg for dinner. If I'm in a fat loss phase, usually I'll just go meat like a piece of steak and veg, whether it's salad or it's roast veg or something. And that's it. If I'm in the gaining phase, I'll still have that. Like I'll have the piece of meat, I'll have the salad, but I'll also have chips I'll put the meat on a burger and all of a sudden it's like you could just keep it as a small basic meal that is just meat and veg or you can carry that meat and veg over add a bunch of other things whether it's chips whether it's a burger whether you put it on a pizza and you turn it into like a chicken veggie pizza you're still ticking the boxes of the protein of the veggies of the fiber of all of those things but you've just tweaked the meal to make it either 300 calories or 700 calories like it's quite easy to do that when you really understand nutrition and when you've got the education and the resources to do so. And I think that's one thing I really wanted to speak to today is the fact that no matter what the goal is, like I said, the meals don't drastically change. We're always looking to include, like I said before, the good amount of protein, the dietary fat, the fiber, the fruit, the veggies, the whole grains, the calcium, all of those foods. And then it's just like, can we include them in a different way? Can we include something else with them when we've got the calories to do so? Or do we have to remove some of the extras and the fun things and just keep them quite basic when we don't have the calories to do so? And this is part of the reason why I wanted to make the book, Simple Meals, because 
I think often we can get really caught up in thinking like we need to find all these crazy, fancy, fun recipes when really I'm such a big fan. And if anyone has been in Eat Like Ruby before in any of my programs, you've seen any of my meal plans, you'll know they are literally just that. They are simple meals. I don't give people crazy recipes. I don't give people anything fancy. It is just simple meals, whether it is like that yogurt, Nutella bowl, omelets, eggs on toast, sandwiches, stir fries, burgers, pizzas, all of those things. And even when I write a meal plan and eat like Ruby, if I write a meal plan for 1600 calories, say, and we tick off all those boxes and we make sure it includes everything we want to include, I will literally duplicate that meal plan and then just have a look. How can I tweak this? If this person is now going to 2200 calories, I don't sit there and write a brand new day from scratch. I'll just be like, okay, cool. Let's add some Nutella. Let's add some extra sauce. Let's add some nuts into that meal. And you can literally just creep calories up so easily. Or on the flip side, you can remove them so easily, but the bulk of the day stays the same. And again, coming back to the book, that's why I wanted to write the book because I think there's a lot of overwhelm with thinking that we need to find brand new meals and brand new recipes and plan all of these crazy days. And I think just having a resource with literally over 200 simple meals is what this book has. You can look and you can pick ones that work for you and you can tweak them if you want to make them higher calorie or you can tweak them if you want to make them lower. You can change flavors or whatever, but they're such good, simple bases. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits when people come in to eat like Ruby and they start to see the meal plans is they are just so simple and you're like, I can just duck down to the supermarket, buy this food, whip it up quite quickly. I'm learning how to tweak it to make it really enjoyable and tasty, but it's not complicated. It's not crazy. It's not time consuming. That is one of the coolest things about Eat Like Ruby. Like I'll just flex and and talk it up because it's something that I truly love. And like I said, that's what the book stemmed from because I was just like, so many people benefit from these simple meals and these simple resources. Why not have a whole book for people to buy and use in the same way? And I guess that's a really cool segue into the last little thing I want to speak about is how do I manage my nutrition if I'm not pursuing a really strict goal or I'm not working towards anything specific and I do just either want to sit at maintenance or just kind of chill. And I think, again, I'll try not to get too off topic, but when we're in that position where we're not trying to pursue a clear muscle gain goal or a clear fat loss goal, maintenance, like air quotes, maintenance can look like so many things and it can be done in so many ways. And it's probably a whole nother episode in itself. But when we go to maintenance and if you're not sure what that means, it's exactly like it sounds. We're just getting to that point where we're happy to sit and maintain for a while. Obviously, we don't want to be in a position where we knuckle down and we do a crazy diet and then we throw the diet in the bin and we like go to maintenance and we just eat whatever we want and do whatever we want. That's the sort of mentality and cycle people can get into with really restrictive, unenjoyable diets. It's like they smash it for eight weeks, they hate it, they get the result they want, they throw it all in the bin and they go back to other shitty habits. That is not what we're about in Eat Like Ruby and that is not what we're talking about when we talk about maintenance. Really, we want to move to our maintenance intake. So obviously that being the amount of food that we need to eat to just maintain, I always advise that we continue tracking our food. So if you've had a really successful deficit on a certain intake, you've tracked your food, you've got the result, it's awesome. I advise moving to maintenance and continuing to track for a little while. 
just to make sure I think it can be a bit overwhelming and people can lose their way if they go from a really tight, strict, aggressive deficit to then just not tracking and trying to maintain. I think what we often see there is people quite quickly lose the result, start to feel quite shitty, and then they're like, fuck, I need to go back to the deficit. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to be able to go to maintenance and actually learn how to sit there for as long as we want to. And I think it's cool to have the knowledge and the skill and the ability to pursue any goal you want at any time. If you do want to go into a fat loss phase, you know how to. If you do want to pursue muscle gain, you know how to. But equally, I think it's a great skill and probably a really underrated skill to just be able to sit at maintenance and chill there. So I think one of the keys to doing that successfully is, like I said, coming out of the deficit and continuing to track for a while. And if we use my numbers as a really cool example, if I did have a successful fat loss phase on 1600, moved to 2000, 2100, whatever it is, and sat there for a few weeks, you can actually start to learn and gather the information of A, is this actually my maintenance? Like, am I sitting here and successfully succeeding with maintaining? And B, start to get a visual and an understanding of what a day at maintenance looks like for you. If you start to understand what foods, what meals, what portions, all of those things make up a day at maintenance for you, when you know that and you've got a clear understanding of that, that's where I think it's a cool time to consider moving away from tracking if you want to. And I'm actually a big advocate of people making this decision themselves. I think we see online the the message for a long time was like, if you track your food all the time, like you're obsessive or it's wrong or whatever. And then on the flip side, people were like, you need to track your food. If you don't track your food, you don't know what you're doing. And it's like really black and white. And I just don't think that's the case. I think everyone should have a phase of tracking unless there's a reason not to like eating disorder history or something. But if there's nothing like that going on, I think everybody can benefit from a phase of tracking, getting the successful result that you want, whatever that is, whether it's muscle gain, fat loss, whatever. Going to maintenance, like I said, learning how to sit there for a while, understanding what that looks like for you and really getting a clear idea of how to do so. And then making that decision like, okay, cool. Do I enjoy tracking my food? Is it working for me? It's quite easy. It's quite a cruisy part of my life. I enjoy it. Usually these are the people that are quite into nutrition and training. It just makes sense to keep tracking. It's very much their lifestyle. Or do you reach a point where you're like, okay, I've learned everything. I've got the result. It all makes sense. I've got quite a good knowledge base to then start moving away from actually tracking. And the real key thing here is that really... The whole point of tracking our food, I think I've said this on the podcast before, we don't track our food for the sake of hitting perfect numbers. We do it so we can start to learn what meals, what foods, what portions, all of these things work for us. So when it comes to moving away from tracking, really the key thing is here, we just want our untracked days to look like our track days. And that's where, if we think about what I said before, when people do a crazy restrictive diet or whatever, it's really black and white. They're like on the diet, it's intense, it's crazy, they hate it. Then when they come off it, their foods, their meals, everything is very, very different. And we can clearly see why people lose results and shit hits the fan and everything comes undone. If you've been tracking your food and you've learned how to tick all the boxes of good quality foods, but you've also learned how to do so in a way that you enjoy, you can just start not tracking your food, but continue eating that same way. And this can happen in so many ways. Some people will find that sweet spot where maybe they track their food like Monday to Friday, and then they're more flexible on the weekends. Some people I know it can work really well when we have a family to track during the day and then essentially like 
leave five or 600 calories for dinner, knowing that you want to mix up your dinners and have a different dinner with your family or like maybe your husband cooks or someone in your family cooks. So it's actually quite tricky and intense for you to track that. But you find a real sweet spot at maintenance where you're like, I track my brekkie, I track my lunch. I know that I've ticked off so many things for the day. And equally, I know I've left, like I said, whether it's five or 600 calories, whatever it is for dinner. And I know that that's going to slot in quite well. And overall, I'm going to sit in a really cool spot and going to maintain. Some people like to use maintenance to go through a process where maybe they start just by having one untracked meal and then they have two untracked meals and then they have an untracked day and then they have an untracked weekend and they gradually move away from tracking over time. There's absolutely no right or wrong with this. And it really is about finding like where that sweet spot is for you to actually make your nutrition work. And if we think about the term flexible dieting, it should be flexible. It should work for you. You don't want to feel like you've got to implement this diet that doesn't actually work and isn't actually flexible for you in your life. Like that defeats the whole purpose. And this is a really cool thing and another reason why I wanted to make the book and why I think the book is so awesome, apart from the fact that I wrote it myself. (laughs) But the book has, like I said, over 200 simple meals. They all have the macro breakdown. So if you're someone who tracks your food, you can look, you can see the calories, the protein, the fiber, everything. If you're in a phase like that or you enjoy tracking your food. But equally, I think a really cool position to be in is if you have tracked your food or you've got a bit of an understanding and education around nutrition and you know, like I said, what a good day looks like for you. You've got quite an understanding and quite a visual of that. You can literally open this book and just be like, okay, I know that I want to eat around 2000 calories. I know I like to eat four meals a day. Let's pick four meals that are around the 500 calorie mark, give or take. You don't ever have to weigh, log, track, anything like that, but you know you're still somewhat on track. We talk about this a lot in masterclasses and stuff. There's a difference between tracking your food and being on track. You can still be on track without tracking. And this is a perfect example. If you've picked four meals that you know come in quite close to your nutrition targets, the book, obviously, like I said, it's it's based around eating like Ruby. So, most of the meals, if not every meal in this book, has a good serve of protein. We're mindful to include the whole grains, the veggies, all of that. The book actually has a key. So it's got a little like emoji key next to every meal. It'll tell you if it contributes to protein or fruit or whole grains or anything like that. So again, you can know that you don't have to sit there and nitpick and fine tune all those numbers, but you can know that picking four meals that are quite close to your calorie target is also then by default going to tick off a lot of those things you want to tick off every day, whether it's protein, fat, fiber, whole grains, veggies, all of the things. So I hope you guys found today's episode helpful. If you've got any like things that you'd love to hear more about, like if we touch on something today and you're like, oh, I'd love to hear a bit more about that or how does she navigate that or whatever, let me know. Let me know if there were things you learned from today's episode. I always want to hear what's landing, what you guys want to know more about. That's literally why we're here. It's why we do it. Obviously, like I said, the book is coming out next week, which is so exciting. You guys will hear me speak a little bit more about that over the coming weeks. In the meantime, make sure you are following on Instagram, eat underscore like underscore Ruby. Also make sure you request to join my private Facebook community. If you just search eat like Ruby um, and request to join the group, we can let you in. You guys are actually going to get 
early bird access and price to the book. So if you think you're keen for the book, I would absolutely make sure you are in the Facebook group so you can get to it first. But that is all from me today. Thank you so much as always, guys, and we will be back next week. 